What do you do when you realize you are going the wrong way? Earlier this summer, I was on sabbatical, and I spent a few weeks of my sabbatical in England and Scotland. And the reason I went there is those are two places in the world that several hundred years ago, Christianity was vibrant. But in the last several years, it's become increasingly secular. And so I was really curious to see how churches and ministries were engaging in what I would consider to be a post-Christian culture. And the reason I went over there to learn from them is because I'm convinced that's what's happening right here. I think we're seeing a lot of post-Christian turning here in our own country, our own nation. And I'm curious how we as a church can best engage our community for the sake of the gospel. And I went over there at the end of the school year. So my kids, unfortunately, were not able to join and my wife had to work. So my dad came with me. So he and I spent two weeks in the United Kingdom and about halfway through the trip, we were in central London and it was a Sunday. And so we got to spend the entire day going to church services. That may not sound like your ideal Sunday, but that is my ideal Sunday. It was awesome. We went from church service to church service and then had meetings with different ministry leaders in between. And so at the end of that day, it was, it was a long day, and we had just wrapped up our last service, just had our last meeting after our last service, and we step outside. It's dark, it's late, we're hungry and tired, and we have to go all the way across the city to get back to our hotel. And typical London, it's raining, like pouring rain. And so we're like running to the bus stop, and it was great timing. We got to the bus stop right as our bus pulled up. And so we hopped onto the bus, and we're shaking off the rain gear. My dad and I are just talking, and we're like, hey, what'd you think about that sermon? What'd you think about that one meeting? What about the worship here? And we're just like back and forth. And in the middle of the conversation, my dad kind of like, his ears, it's like he's he's like perked up, and he's like distracted from our, our conversation, and he's listening. And then I start listening. And we're, we're hearing the names of all these bus stops, and they're not any of the right names. And we realize we're going the wrong way. And that's a terrible feeling when you realize that you're going the wrong way. And it's a bad enough feeling when you realize you're going the wrong way in a car or in a bus. But it is an awful feeling when you realize that you're going the wrong way in life. When your career's going the wrong way, if a relationship is going the wrong way, school is going the wrong way, or if your faith is going the wrong way. Today, we're going to find Jonah in the city of Nineveh. And as he walks into the city of Nineveh, the people who live in the city of Nineveh are all about to find out that they are going the wrong way. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open it up as we continue in our series, Finding Jonah. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 3 today. So you can open that up and we're going to dive in and continue here in our story. Here's what uh, God's word says, Jonah chapter three, verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And I have to imagine that for Jonah, walking into the city of Nineveh in and of itself would have just been an emotional experience. This was a place that he never wanted to go to, and for good reason. He didn't want to go to Nineveh because this was the capital city of Assyria. They were the enemies of Israel, and these people were far from God. They were known to be violent, and so when God said go, he said no. 
And the last two weeks, we've, we've learned the journey that Jonah has been on as he ran from God and God has brought him back. And so now here he finally is and he's stepping into the city and probably thinking, this may be the last city I ever walk into. Because he, he's thinking, now I might not get out of here alive. And, and even if I do, like, this isn't gonna work. You know, God, these people are far from you. Like, the, they're people that have, wanna have nothing to do with you. They're not gonna respond to this message. Why am I even here? You ever had one of those moments? Just like, God, why am I even here? Like, I'm doing, God, what you told me to do, but, like, I don't see how this is gonna work out at all. And then the unthinkable happens. A miracle happens. The people of Nineveh believe God. Here it is in verse five. It says, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from greatest to least, put on sackcloth. There is a citywide revival at Jonah's message. And the question is like, well, how did that happen? And I don't think it was because Jonah was just, you know, so powerful as a, as a preacher or had a way with words. Because that type of reaction is, is just something that is supernatural. And so what happened was that God was working in advance of Jonah. What historians tell us is about the time of Jonah, uh, the area, the region around Nineveh and that part of the Assyrian Empire was suffering from a lot of natural disasters. Things like earthquakes and floods and famines. And the people of Nineveh, even though they didn't follow God of Scripture, they were very religious. So when Jonah walked into the city, he would have seen ziggurats, and he would have seen temples, and he would have seen idol worship, and he would have seen all sorts of pagan cultic practices. And the reason is that people of Nineveh were pagans, and in that idea and in that mindset, they thought, hey, we have to just cover our bases with all these pagan gods. Because the gods are responsible for certain things happening in life, and as long as we can appease the gods, then things are going to be okay for us. And so when things started to not go well, when there were these natural disasters that they could not control, they probably were, were, were trying to crawl out to all these gods, and none of it was working, because they're false gods. And so the people of Nineveh would have likely become increasingly desperate and open to any ideas and any awareness to say, what is actually happening here, and is there, is there another way that we can go forward? And at that time, in walks this strange man from Israel. And he was fresh out of a fish. He probably smelled pretty fresh. I mean, the guy like walked in and he had this amazing story that the people of Nineveh needed to repent, to go a new way. And they respond. And that's such an important lesson for us that whenever God calls us to do something, it's not like he's calling us to go do something under our own power. It's not like God calls us to do something and then asks us to perform for him when God calls us to do something, he's already been working in advance. God's asking us to trust him and respond to what he's already doing. That's what the story of Jonah is all about. See, God was working ahead so that when his message came, the people responded. And they responded in a significant way. Uh, listen to how this citywide revival took place. Uh, let's pick it up in verse six. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decrees of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. 
Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. That is a dramatic response. I mean, when the king issues this decree that, that even the animals need to go through this citywide fast, he is saying, this is big news. We have to stop everything we're doing. They ceased all economic activity, all social activity, and said, we have to take this seriously. And what Jonah chapter three is showing us in terms of how the people of Nineveh responded to God is this really important principle. And it's kind of the whole theme of chapter three. When we receive God's grace, we repent. And the order of that sentence matters a lot. In fact, I labored over just those words and and the right order and the right phrasing because so often in our lives, we get those things confused. We think that we need to repent in order for God to give us his grace. That's not true. The, the people of Nineveh were not putting on sackcloth and setting in the dust and the ash in hopes that they would earn God's favor or that maybe by doing that, they would receive God's grace. They had already received it and they were responding to it. You say, well, how is that? Well, because they didn't have to have the message from Jonah. If God really wanted to bring judgment and destruction to the city of Nineveh, he would have just done it. But by his grace, he reaches out to them to give them a message, to send them a message, to try to get their attention. He had been doing that through those natural disasters, kind of preparing the way, and now through the word of Jonah. And the story for Jonah is the same. All throughout the first two chapters, we see that God gives his grace first, and then Jonah responds to the grace that God has given to him. Jonah doesn't perform in order to earn God's grace. And that's so important for us to understand here. And so when we receive God's grace, what we are called to do is that we need to repent. And what repent means is it just means to go a new way. So for instance, if you're heading this way, uh, and at some point you just realize you have to stop and go a new way, that's what it means to repent. So whenever God in scripture says that we're supposed to repent, that's the image he's giving us. He's saying, hey, you're heading this way. I need you to stop what you're doing. I need you to go a new way. That just, that's what repenting means. And so when God's grace shows up in our life, that's the response that we're supposed to have. We stop going the wrong way and we reorient ourselves to the right way. And God's grace in particular helps us to repent in, in two specific ways. And we see those in the story here. The first is that God's grace shows us that we're going the wrong way. And that's what happened with the people of Nineveh. When Jonah came into the city, here was the message that he proclaimed. The message was, 40 more days and the city of Nineveh will be overthrown. And that message that we hear, you know, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown, feels like a message of judgment. I mean, some of us just hearing that kind of have this, maybe I have this image of like Jonah as a prophet, you know, super long beard, you know, very stern look. I mean, just came out of a fish. He probably smelled, right? And then like maybe the big cardboard thing, like the sign, like the end is near on the street corner or something. Like it's, it's like this message of judgment. But that, that's not what this is. See, the phrase 40 more days, whenever God uses the term 40 throughout scripture, what that signifies is it signifies entering into a season of life that is evaluation and testing. And it's preparation in that season for the season that comes after that. 
And God has done this throughout the story of, of Scripture. So, for instance, uh, there was the story of a man named Noah, and Noah was saved by God. The, the, the people of the world had uh, just been acting terribly and evilly, and God said, i, I got to start again, but I, Noah, I'm going to preserve you and your family, and so they go in this ark, and there's the flood, and it rains for 40 days and 40 nights. And it was a time of testing. It was a time of evaluation to say, we can't continue as humanity to go that way. When when we emerge from this ark, we need to go a new way. And then a few stories later, as you continue in, in, in the Bible, you hear the story of the people of Israel. And they were enslaved in Egypt. And God brought them out of Egypt and then brought them through the desert and then into the promised land. That's the land of Israel today. But before they got to Israel, they stopped trusting God. They started trusting in themselves. They started trusting in idols. And God said, there's judgment that comes from that. So you're going to spend 40 years wandering in the desert. And it was a time of testing. It was a time to evaluate. Is that how you want to continue to to, to live your life? Do you want to trust yourself or do you want to trust me? Even Jesus himself, when Jesus began his earthly ministry, he did so by going out into the wilderness, actually kind of like the people of Israel, and he spent 40 days fasting and being tempted to evaluate and and to really solidify that that, that this was God in the flesh and that he was going to do things a new way. And when he emerged from that season, his ministry started. And then after the resurrection, Jesus comes to his first followers and he spends for them with them. 40 days. And in those 40 days, he's saying, I have now been risen from the grave. You've now received God's grace in its fullness. So we have to reorient everything in our lives around this new truth and prepare to launch the church. And then he ascends to heaven and the church goes on. 40 days is always this moment, not of judgment, but of saying, hold on, hold on. Consider how you're living your life and evaluate, is this the way you want to keep going? And then to say, Maybe there's a different way forward. And that was the message. And when God's grace comes to us, that's what God's grace demands of us. It says, I, 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 want, I want to clarify for you how you're living your life is going to lead someplace. Just like when we got on the wrong bus. That bus is leading someplace. It's just not where we want to go. You have to evaluate, is that the way that we want to go? And that's God's grace. It points out to us that we're heading the wrong way. But then the second thing that God's grace does is it invites us to go a new way. And that's the idea of repenting, to turn and go a new way. And we see that with the people of Nineveh. In in verse 8, when the king is issuing his decree, he makes a statement that is incredibly profound. Here it is in verse 8. It's at the end of that that verse. He says, let everyone give up their evil ways and their violence. And you and I probably read that and we're like, well, yeah, that'd be a good thing to do and to give up. But for the people of the ancient Near East, they had a very different mindset around things like violence than we do today. In in that idea and in the ancient Near East, and especially in a pagan culture, the idea was that might made right, which means if you could do something, you were justified in in your ability to do it or or, or that you should do it. That that if I'm stronger than you, that means that I'm entitled to whatever I want to take of yours. And, and they had this view of, of uh, somehow the gods were affirming that because they allowed these things to happen. And so it allowed tremendous injustice to happen in society and culture uh, because everyone was able to, to just do whatever they felt like they could do. But you have to understand that the city of Nineveh was built on this concept. 
The Assyrian Empire, at this point in time, the Neo-Assyrian Empire, was feared throughout the world. And they were known for two things, siege warfare and the terror that they caused in all these other nations and cities because of how ruthless and how violent the people of Assyria were when they came in and conquered anybody who got in their way. And so they literally, the, the riches of the city of Nineveh were, was built on them being violent and cruel. And so for the king of Nineveh to come in and say, we're now going to give up our violence, is like him saying, we're going to have a complete reorientation into how we even understand our sense of identity in terms of who we even are. I mean, this, this statement is profound for the king of Nineveh to make. I don't even know what it would be. It would be like the, the people of America getting together and saying, like, we're going to give up freedom uh, and some of you are like, I think that's happening, but I, this, that, that's a, that, don't get political on me. The point is, this is a major reorientation. And it's that level of reorientation, that level of repentance that Jesus actually expects from us. The 800 years later, after, after Jonah, Jesus is having a conversation with some religious leaders. We alluded to this last week in chapter two where he heals a man who was possessed by a demon. And that man was deaf and mute, and now he's, he's, he's healed and restored. And the religious leaders were jealous of Jesus and suspicious of Jesus. And so they accused Jesus not of being a person of God, but being a person of Satan himself. They said, the reason you're able to do all these miraculous things is because you're of the devil, which is incredibly offensive. And Jesus is having a conversation with them about it. And they say, well, then just give us a sign. Prove to us that you're actually from God which is ridiculous because he just healed a man that was possessed by a demon. And then Jesus says this, and we, we mentioned it last week, and he said, uh, no sign is gonna be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And then he goes on to say, just as Jonah was in the, the fish but came out, so I'm gonna go into the heart of the earth, into the tomb, but I'm gonna come out. I'm gonna rise again from, from the grave. We, we mentioned that last weekend. But then Jesus says this next sentence that we didn't get to last week, and in it, he talks about the response from the people of Nineveh. So here it is in Matthew chapter 12. It's verse 41. Jesus says this. He says, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now something greater than Jonah is here. In other words, Jesus says, when God's grace shows up, you need to respond people of Nineveh did. And Jesus says, and I'm, I'm more of God's grace than the message of Jonah. And the harsh reality is not everybody responds to God's grace. But it's that repentive attitude that Jesus expects we have. Because when we truly receive God's grace, we can't respond in any other way. And that was the issue. The people around Jesus that were those religious leaders, they didn't receive God's grace. They were only focused on themselves. So what's that mean for us? Well, I think what it means is that we need to take seriously the level of repentance that we see displayed here by the people of Nineveh. That we need to repent. And there's two ways that we may need to repent. The first is that you and I may need to repent of certain actions in our lives. Because God's grace has come to us and it's pointing out to us that we need to have a 40-day evaluation period. We need to consider how we're living our lives. 
And for some of us, that means that, that we are going the wrong way. And God's grace has come to us and it says to us, listen, if you continue in that relationship, it's going to destroy your marriage. Listen, if, if you continue with that habit, it's gonna destroy your family. Listen, if you continue to, to be deceitful, it's gonna destroy your friendships. If, if you continue to behave this way, it's gonna destroy your career. If, if you continue to engage this way, it's gonna destroy your faith and your walk with me. And those aren't, those aren't words of, of judgment that are intended to be harsh, but to be intended to be clarifying, to say, you're, you're going the wrong way. And when we recognize that, God's grace then invites us to go a new way, to turn and, and to come back to God and to repent of those actions. But I love the example that we have in Jonah 3 about the king of Nineveh. When he was so convicted, when the people were so convicted, they had a chance to display this. That this wasn't like something they just did in the quietness of their own heart and nobody knew. They told other people about it. And that's the same thing that we need to do. If we're being called by God to repent of our actions, listen to me, you need to tell somebody about it. And I'm not, we're not gonna get weird. I'm not gonna have you come forward or raise your hand or embarrass you or anything like that. But listen, if God is telling you that you're going the wrong way and it's time to go a new way and you need to repent, find one person, somebody that you trust, maybe somebody that's a little further along in their faith journey than you and tell them, confess it to them. Ask for accountability. Ask for help to, to get reoriented to go the right way. Because when we receive God's grace, we have to repent of the ways that we're going that are leading to our own destruction. But there's a second way that we may need to repent that we see in the story of Jonah. And it's a little more subtle. And honestly, it's a little more challenging. Jonah needed to repent not just of not obeying the word of God, but Jonah needed to repent of his attitude. And that's the second way that we need to repent, of our attitude. See, here was the attitude that Jonah had. Jonah had this attitude that I don't care about the people of, of Nineveh. I, I, don't, I don't actually wanna go to Nineveh, God. I don't want the people of Assyria to come back to you because they're our enemies. They're people who are against you and I, I don't wanna see them come to you because I'm concerned about what that might mean for our future. And, and so he was just so convinced that these people were far from God and they deserved what they were gonna get that he wanted nothing to do with Nineveh. And, and I have to be honest with you, sometimes I, I have a similar attitude. Before I joined the staff here at Wooddale Church as a pastor, I, I spent a number of years in the corporate world. And I had some great jobs and uh, worked with, uh, with some great clients when I was in management consulting. I, I had great colleagues. And a few of those clients that I had and a few of the colleagues that I worked with were people who were far from God. And I knew they were far from God. And, and I saw how they behaved. I saw how they thought. I saw their attitudes. And I just, I assumed in my mind, I made up my mind that they would never want to have anything to do with God. And I'm embarrassed to tell you, I, I, never, I never brought it up. I never prayed for them. I, I never shared my story with them. In fact, when opportunities would come up in conversations to maybe bring it up, I, I, I wouldn't. Because I was more concerned about what I could get from them professionally than how I might be able to help them spiritually. 
And I thought actually by trying to help them spiritually, it may limit what I could get from them professionally. And that was just a lack of my own maturity. It was the wrong attitude. I, I at times have that attitude of Jonah. You know, Jonah was like, I, I, I'm so not interested in going to Nineveh that here's what Jonah did when God told him to go. He actually said, I'm going this way. And he went down to the Mediterranean coast to the port city of Joppa. And Joppa was this, this launching point for Jonah. And he literally bought a fare on a ship and said, I would rather trust myself to the open sea than I would to go to those people and preach to them. And, and, and Joppa was this moment where he said, no to what God is calling because my attitude toward those people is, is, so, is so harsh and, and I'm, I'm, I'm running the other way. But listen, it's not just Jonah and it's not just me that struggle with that attitude. Do you know who else struggled with that attitude? The apostle Peter. If you're unfamiliar with Peter's story, he was one of the first followers of Jesus. And Peter's a great guy, a great story, because he gets a lot of things right and he gets a lot of things wrong, which is kind of like you and me. And after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus restored Peter because he had, he, had, he had done a lot of things really wrong toward the end. And we see Peter in the days of the early church when the Holy Spirit comes, and Peter is like a changed man. He is preaching the gospel. People are coming to faith. He, he's, he's doing some miraculous things. He's leading really well. And it's like, man, everything's going right with Peter. But the only issue is that the only people that Peter was focused on talking to about Jesus were people like him. Peter was Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. And so he assumed that the only people that would be interested in Israel's Messiah, Jesus, were other Jews. And he never bothered going to non-Jewish people. Those are called Gentiles. He just didn't bother with the Gentiles. Because probably in his mind, those Gentiles aren't going to want to have anything to do with Jesus. So why bother even going to them? Until one day, Peter has a vision. And in this vision, he sees this, th these animals that appear before him. And they're animals that would have been unclean, ritually speaking, for a Jewish person to eat. And so he sees these animals, and then he hears this voice, and the voice says, Peter, get up, go, kill, eat. And Peter thinks he's being te tested or tempted. And so he says, no, God, I would never do that. I would never eat those things because that would make me un un unclean. And God says to him, Peter, don't call anything impure that I have made clean. And then it happens three times, which gets Peter's attention. And then the vision's over. And as soon as the vision's over, he hears this knock on the door. And the spirit tells him, Peter, you need to go with those men. And so Peter goes downstairs and he goes, I, I'm supposed to go with you. And they go, okay, well, we're going to the home of a Gentile man named Cornelius. And Peter goes with him. And a couple days later, he goes to Cornelius' home. And I have to imagine that for Peter, when he stepped foot into this Gentile person's home, it may have been the very first time he had ever stepped foot into a Gentile person's home. It was probably like Jonah walking into Nineveh. Like, God, why am I here? Like, what, what's gonna happen here? Like, what, what's the purpose of this? Like, this is some place I never thought I'd be. Maybe I never wanted to be. But just like Jonah, God had been working ahead of Peter. And so this man welcomes Peter and he says, I need to tell you what happened to me. An angel came to me and told me that I'm supposed to call you because you have a message for me. And Peter realizes that the angel appeared to Cornelius at the same time that, that the vision came to Peter about don't call anything unclean that, that, that I have made clean. And Peter gets it. 
And he goes, wait a minute, that means God's heart is for all people. And in Acts chapter 10, there's this powerful response that Peter gives when all of this clicks for him. And he he says this, let me just read these words from Peter. He said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Peter's like, okay, I now get it. It's about all people. God has a heart for anybody who will choose to repent and come back to God, whether or not they're from a certain nation or a certain people group or a certain tradition or a certain background. And you know what's amazing about this? Do you know where Peter was when he first received that vision? He was in the port city of Joppa, the same place where Jonah chose to go a different way. The fact that those two events happen with Joppa is God's way of saying, hey, that story is about this story. And it's about the fact that my heart is for all people, regardless of how far away they may seem, if they will choose to repent. And I have to tell you, I've been so convicted by that awareness. Because far too often I make up my mind that there's certain people that just don't want anything to do with God. And so I don't have a lot to do with them. But what God is telling us to do, what he's inviting us to do, listen, when we receive God's grace into our lives, it causes us to turn and go a new way, to repent of that attitude. To repent of that attitude and say, there are people who who might be very far from God and God is calling me to go to them. And many of us need to have a repentance, not just of actions, but of our attitude toward those around us. Because the reality is that there are things that are happening in our nation, in our country, as things become increasingly post-Christian, oftentimes you and I can see what's going on in our culture and think, you know what, I don't want anything to do with this. And we're really tempted, listen, we're really tempted to go to Joppa and buy a ticket to head to Tarshish and get away from all of this. But that's not what God has called us to do. God has called us to be like Jonah, to be present in our communities and to engage with people who seem like they are the Ninevites. They're the furthest people from God because he's already working ahead. And they're recognizing that the things that they thought were working aren't working anymore. And what they need is they need God's grace to come into their life so they have an opportunity to repent. And I believe Wooddale Church, God is calling us to be present, to be engaged in our communities, the Twin Cities, to help bring his gospel message of grace to people so that they can have an opportunity to repent. But before we can do that, we have to repent of our unwillingness at times to do that. When I was in the UK, one of the things that I heard from the churches over there is that on average, it takes somebody in a post-Christian culture five to seven years to come to faith after they meet a Christian for the very first time. Five to seven years. Okay, that's a lot different than us like walking into the city and being like 40 more days and your life's gonna be overthrown. Like this is is long-term engagement. And we can't harbor an attitude against the other if we're gonna engage in a relationship for that amount of time. But that's what God's calling us to do, to be his gracious presence in the lives of people who are far from him 
so that they'll have an opportunity to repent and return to him. So how do we do that practically? I think you and I probably all have a Nineveh in our world. And so here's what I wanna encourage you to do. One person. Ask God for one person in your Nineveh. And then here's what I want you to do. For that person, consider three questions. Question number one, do I know their story? Do I know their story? Not just where they live and what they do for a living, but do I know their story? Do I know what their hopes are, what their dreams are? Do I know what their history with faith is? Do I know what they believe about God or Christianity or scripture or spirituality? And then second question, do they know your story? Have you been able to share with them about your personal relationship with Jesus Christ? About how he's transformed you? About how one time you were running from God, but you've come back? About how you're committed to following God? About the hope that you have? Do they know your story? And then question number three, have they been in your home or have you been in theirs? Because the only way that we can develop this type of opportunity to to bring God's grace into the lives of people who may be far from him is up close and over time. So get to know him, invite him in, build the relationships, you share meals together. And in so doing, you're gonna have an opportunity to provide God's grace to them, to let them know, hey, the way you're going, it's not gonna end up where you think it's gonna end up. But God is inviting you a chance to turn and go a new way. Because the reality is, whenever you and I realize we're going the wrong way, we need to repent. And so Father, we come before you and once again, we are thankful and humbled by your word. Lord, I pray that we would be as quick and as willing to respond to your word as those people of Nineveh were. And Father, help us to to see the places where you have invited us to step in and to be a presence, to represent your grace. And so Lord, I, I do pray that you would bring to mind for each of us one person, one person that we're convinced is a Ninevite, And Father, that 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 would be the one person that you're already working ahead in their lives. And Spirit, we we just give you permission right now to bring that person to mind and to convict us of the actions or the attitudes that we need to get right with you so that we can live on mission for you. And Father, I pray that your spirit would be clear to us And Father, I pray that you would give to us the courage to respond to what your word calls us to do. And it's in your name we pray, amen.